to the Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, the one and only Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, sir? Chris, I'm doing great. We're on 101. And one, I don't know what we're supposed to do now. One, is it all we, downhill and, and from we here? we ended with Jim. I know. What do and we do Jim now? Jim has such a soft voice. When he was talking, weren't you like... Boy, we're so loud, and he was so calm and so soft, but so much. You see, he's the opposite of us. We're loud and say nothing, yeah. and he softens says a lot of I stuff. I know, exactly. Well, speaking of nothing, hang on. Welcome in, welcome in. We are over the 100th episode hump now. We have made it to 101. So anything after this is, I don't know, Steve, uh, a fair game for anything, I guess, right? Chris, we started with zero. We're up to seven. Although I did meet a person who claimed to be number eight, but I have an announcement to make. Oh, you're going right for it. I'm going right for it. We have... The Jew and the Gentile cup. We've got the, the mug on a mug. We got mug on a mug now, everybody. Mug on a mug. Why don't you show that over here on the camera? There you go. Our faces. You know what I keep thinking? I didn't even know if I should drink for I baptized it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I keep thinking is somebody's going to be sitting there with their mug. They're going to put a hot thing of coffee in there and then they're gonna it's gonna be early in the morning and they're gonna look over depending on their right hand or left hand they're gonna see our face and go and it's gonna spill hot coffee all over them crazy (laughs) but chris we have an issue and maybe our listeners can help us and this we're not joking here we have the cups that came in but we are not prepared to get them to the people uh because we had to work with marketing your wife's been on the jew and the gentile podcast yep Steve Salade has been on. Uh, um, we also have to work with shipping. Uh, we have to get special boxes. I didn't realize it was such a federal case. I said, oh, and, but it's true. We don't want them broken or anything. Uh, and so a we, federal case. I like that. You go right for the, you know, an indictment of uh, the Jew and Gentile <laughs> well, mug on I just a mug. Get, we get mugs. People want them. We get them to them. That's but right. I, I, as usual, that's the way we do Jew and a Gentile podcast. That's right. We don't, we, just, think, we don't think about it. Then all of a sudden, when we're talking, we say, "Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know." Stall them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I even said, "Are you sure you want to talk about the mugs?" You said, I'm "I want sure. to talk about." Here's them. what I'm asking our listeners to do: If you think you'd be interested in a mug, and we're only going to ask for a donation, and it will be free shipping. I don't know anything else. We're going to ask for a donation and free shipping. Uh, but I'd like you to text. 424-444-1948. That's mm-hmm. 424-444-1948, the birth date of the modern state of Israel. And tell us, if you could get them, how many you'd want. Yeah. That that, that, get, that will help us. We still have to get, we have to work on how to ship them out and getting, our, we have our own website, but that's not ready to launch, We're right? Gonna, that's the thing. There's a lot of components involved. So, oh, yeah, you know, never, people never have, people have, it be so complicated. Well, that people have already been texting in and sending us messages. Look at someone's actually writing in right now and said four, please. I, got, I just got a <laughs> text, <fantastic>. right? <laughs> John, actually, uh, John wants four mugs. And John actually texted us earlier and uh I had a question for us that I think we can answer. Um, and so we'll be preparing for people to be able to sign Wait, up. His name's John. John, take a look if you're if you're watching. I don't know if you're watching or listening, but there it is. Uh, I, man, get up in the morning and see this. There you go, oh, John. Yeah. I love it. I'll, I'll drink iced tea to you, John. <laughs> well, John asked a question, though, Steve, that maybe you can speak into. And it's a fantastic question. He He, he sent this to me the other day at our text line, 424-444-1948. And he says, I have a question for you guys. Uh, Your recent discussion about Jewish, quote, bag of tricks got me wondering about the armor of God. Would love to hear uh, hear about the Jewish perspective of this. Thanks for all the time you guys share with us. It's appreciated. Great question. It is a great question. And, you know, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing Ephesians, was right next to a Roman soldier. And so he saw... uh, he probably felt <laughs> their armor, uh, yeah. and he knew about the soldiers and all that, and so that's why he wrote that. But from his background too, uh, yes, we have we have J- Jewish people have. I called it a bag of tricks because it, it's in a little bag, and I just made a what I thought was a flippant uh, description of it. But 
Jewish people take it very seriously. I used to take it very seriously. And I think the Lord Jesus Christ took it seriously. Oh, yeah. It's the idea of the fringes that hang down. He had a long outer garment that has since been shortened, and it's called a talit, which now holds the tzitzit, the fringes. Uh, back in that day, it was part of their outer, outer garment. Jesus, of course, didn't have yarmulkes. Yarmulkes came later, the skull cap. But that's part of the dress. And Jewish people, before, if they're in synagogue, uh, will make sure that they have their dress on, mm-hmm. which is the talit, the yarmulke. Uh, as they have devotions in the morning, we talked about tefillin, phylacteries. They put that on. We, in the uh, as believers... Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God, not in a literal physical clothing, but we're to take the helmet, and we have salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, and uh, the uh, the uh, oh, see, uh, see you're Ephesians getting there. Six, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> the, uh, you got the shoes, help, the, the shoes, feet. yes. Uh, and so all those things for the he, gospel of peace, all of them. exactly the belt. And he's got the image, like you said, he's got the Roman imagery right next to him. But you know what I keep thinking of is when you're putting on the phylacteries, mm-hmm. when you're putting on the the tzitzit, when you're putting on the the tefillin. You know, they're not. It's not a Roman uh, armor, but no. it does convey, I believe, the same message that Paul is talking about. Because what the what you're doing when you're putting on the armor of God is you're saying, I'm not actually putting on physical armor. I'm girding on uh, faith and truth and the gospel and righteousness. These these biblical principles are what will allow us, if we if we yield to the Spirit, the, the biblical principles that of faith and righteousness and obedience and, and the gospel will shield against the onslaught of what the of Satan will bring to us. And the same can be said for putting on the the prayer shawl. It's the imagery of if you go back to the law and you're you're thinking about the six hundred and thirteen commandments, God's faithfulness is in those six hundred and thirteen commandments. You're God conscious. You're in God both. conscious. Exactly. In both. Yeah. And I, that's very fair. Uh, and as I said, we it, Jewish people take it seriously. I I I do too. I don't want to come across. If I am coming across, I'm not. I do. Um, they do it as, or, and I did it growing up, believing that it would get me righteousness later. And, and we know that that's not true. The Older Testament text tells us that as well as the New Testament. But it's, it is a mentality, a discipline uh, that Paul talks about from a Roman perspective, and that certainly we could talk about from a Jewish perspective. I really appreciate John's question. That's a fantastic uh, one, John. Yeah, and I'm glad you're watching right tricks. now. He took bag of tricks he and remembered made it that. serious. And he just That's... texted us. So he's watching live. And for those of you watching live and listening live, thank you so very much. Hey, Steve, we've got some, uh, we've got an interesting show, but before we get to that, we actually have a special guest with we us. We have a guest. We have a special guest with us. And I, I want to uh, introduce uh, Fran Flanagan. Hey, Fran, how's it going? Good, guys. How are you? Good. Good to see you. I call him Fran the Third, yes. you know. Right, Maybe well, the fourth. Which, but, is, which is the reason why he's here today, actually. It is the reason why he's here. Last week we did What's in a Name. Fran, you listened to that podcast. I did listen, yeah. Have you listened to a podcast anytime before that one? Yeah, my way back from the honeymoon, actually. Oh, way <laughs> back from all oh, a honeymoon here. What how long ago were you married? One month yesterday. Ah. Way back, way back on his honeymoon. <laughs> One <top>. month ago. <laughs> no, actually, I know his wife very well. I've known your wife longer than I've known you because uh, your wife is uh, my kid's principal at their Christian school. So I'm sure you hear all the fantastic thing about the Katolka kids all the time. So, yeah, see, uh, we need the armor of God all day Look at long. He's smiling, yeah, exactly. He's, he's like, smiling. We, we don't want to bring that here. Um, so, Fran, you are newly married. You were listening to the Jew and Gentile podcast and uh, on your way home from your honeymoon. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So I'm just interested to know what made you go, hey, honey, you know, we're driving home from our honeymoon. Let's put on <laughs> the Jew and Gentile podcast. What was it? Was it just interest? I'm, I'm interested to know. He had to run out of things yeah. to hear. I'm sure that's what it was. It was a t- 12 hour drive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. You just needed some people to fill in the background noise, right? Yeah, she was like, what do you want to listen to? I'm like, well, I'm still on an FOI. Why don't we put on Chris Katolka's podcast? (laughs) 
<laughs> That's great. Uh, well, uh, we're going to have uh, Fran come on because there, uh, you know, we're going to continue our conversation about what's in a name. Because last week when we were going through it for our 100th episode, out of nowhere, bada bing, bada boom, the big mocker shows up. showers came. That was fantastic. Aja shows up. So we had to cut our conversation about what's in a name short. So we're going to pick up that this week. Fran has an interesting story as Steve's been asking him about his name. So we're going to bring all that in together. But Steve, before we do that, we're going to continue our conversation about life after death in Jewish thought. There is a series of articles in Moment magazine about 20 years ago, and we've been reading parts of them. They're by all different people in medicine and entertainment and all that. And this one actually comes from... uh, Jerome Groupman, uh, he is the was at least the chair of medicine at Harvard Medical School and the author of The Measure of Our Days, A Spiritual Exploration of Illness. Boy, this is uplifting, isn't it? Wow, we're so, <laughs> so excited. But when it comes to death, we already realize that Jewish people are everywhere. They're, they're anything from there's no God to superstition. And here he says, I think about that topic a lot. That's what he says. He's And why does he? Because I'm a specialist in blood cancer. Right. No wonder he thinks about it a lot. And I used to work with people with AIDS before it was treatable. People who had only had a short time to live. I was brought up in a very traditional family. My mother, uh, my mother's extended family were Satmar. That's very religious. Very religious. That's a, a, a ultra-Orthodox um Usually, it's uh, is that Sephardic? It's Sephardic. It's it's not uh, Ashkenazi. Uh, and my father's family were from Vilna. Oh, wow. that's Eastern Europe. So, what uh, do you call a blend between a Sephardic and an Ashkenazi Jewish? Well, is that a word actually, for that? He he says, but more of a rational Orthodox or Mitgadim in opposition to the Hasidim. Wow! So they they were in opposition. So I have both the rationalist. And the mystical tradition. This is a this is a good one. Yep. I used to ask my father, do you think there's an afterlife? And he would shrug without an answer because it's an unanswerable question. And he said, at the very least, there's a sense that people live within memory. And this is something that is clearly very central. You know, Chris, my father held that. That for him was, uh, he didn't think about life after death. He felt that the uh, remembering after death, saying Kaddish, we've talked about that mm-hmm. in the past. Kaddish is a prayer that of really is praise to God, but it has in mind a person, a loved one who died. So when the person is reciting Kaddish and you do it, you have to have a minion to do it. You do it together as usually in a community in a synagogue, and they will say Kaddish, so they're saying it jointly, but they're thinking of their loved one. It's yeah. at the it, they say it together. So he's saying that memory is very important. So four times a year I go to Yisker. That's un, that's what he's doing, remembering the anniversary of the death. And I observe my parents' yurtzeit, which is a lighting of the candle when they die at the year anniversary and every year after. So do they exist in some dimension as souls? He asks. I would like it to be true. Sometimes I believe it, sometimes I don't. But I do know I feel their presence, and I feel their spirit within myself. I'm going to be 60 next year, so if he's still alive, he's at least 80-plus years old. Oh, that's this old. How old oh, is yeah. that? How old at is this? At least 20. At oh, least is it 20 really? I didn't know old. that. Yeah. So it's the time of life when you think about these things, and I'm still torn. So he's, he was 60 years old at the time he wrote this, and he, hmm. he's, this is really encouragement as believers. People are think about this. We're confronted with mystery. In the same way you have the mystery and marvel of birth, where all of a sudden life appears, here you have loved ones, parents, who have been part of your existence from the moment of awareness, and they disappear. It's confounding. It's perplexing. You strain to make sense of it. That's a- that is... That's an honest guy. We've read people who are so flippant about believing it, uh, sometimes arrogant. Uh, and here's a person who said, I, oh, I would love it to be true. I don't know. I, I've been raised in, a, uh, in an environment that hopes for it, and I, sometimes I think about it, sometimes I don't. 
It's interesting. If we have regular listeners to the podcast, they have heard us go. Uh, we've been through several of the Moment Magazine's uh, sections on Jewish thoughts about afterlife, and the one thing that appears over and over again, if you're if you're uh, a regular listen, you'll a regular listener, you'll understand is that there's a many different thoughts on the afterlife, and if you're just tuning in. You know, you might think, well, Jewish people all think the same way, and they clearly, clearly don't. And actually, this came up in a conversation recently because we're going to hang a something that we, that Alice found for us. She did. On, she did. On, from a conference that just took place, the Lausanne Conference on oh. Evangelism. And uh, it, it's very fascinating because she took a—somehow she got a picture. She got it from our friend. He used to be the president, and he just stepped down— and he announced it on fa Facebook, and the new president gave a presentation, and he posted it. My friend, uh, Jim Melnick, great guy, wonderful guy, very smart guy, Harvard grad, all that, uh, colonel in the, uh, in the um, I think it was the Army. Uh, yeah, really great guy. And so he posted it, and Alice said, you got to see that. Chris, can you, I read it? Read it and make sure you give the date. I will. At the end, I'll give the date. But I want you to bear in mind, everybody, that we've been reading a 20... I didn't realize it was 20 years old. It feels like it could have been written yesterday. Uh, a 20-year-old article on the various Jewish views of life after death. And so as evangelical Christians who want to share our faith because we believe that there is life after death. We believe that we are going to be accountable to God for our life and for uh, our sins and that we can never uh, um, attain righteousness on our own, that we need a Savior. And so we believe in the gospel that Jesus Christ came, shed his blood, that we, if we believe and have faith in him— by God's grace, we can receive forgiveness, and God sees us as righteous because of what Christ has done, what the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah did. And we have, e we have e eternal security and confidence that when we close our eyes on this side of earth, we'll open our eyes into the presence and of God. And this is another Jewish view that you're going to read. That's right. This is a Jewish view. And I want you to hear this. This is what the, 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 um, the image said that was being posted on a presentation. It said, most of our tracks have been written for Jews of one mind and religious thought, uh, losing sight of the manifold and various character uh, characters and education of the Jews uh, we have to deal with. We have to reckon with Orthodox, Talmudics, the Reformed, the Educated, the Illiterate, the Hasidic, the Superstitious, the Socialistic, and Atheist, the Infidel, the National Jew. We have to provide literature, material for Jewish people who think that Judaism is a misfortune than a religion, more a misfortune than a religion. We want material tracks for each and all of the innumerate classes, and we have to meet them on their own fulcrum, which we have to lead up to Scripture. This comes from the London Society missionary uh, uh, R.S. Spiegel. Ready? Here it is. The date, 1892. When Alice showed me that, I just, I, this is so pertinent. Uh, how many different kinds of Jews are there? Well, we could go through that. We always do. Reform, conservative, orthodox, Hasidic. In 1892. Yeah. They're Mr. asking Spiegel, the same question. The same thing. Yeah. The exact same thing. Well, and you know, it's what goes through our mind when we read these Moment Magazine, Life After Death, Jewish Thoughts on Life After Death. You know, what goes through your mind is, how do I minister to this person? Clearly, the last one that we just read comes at it from a very rationalistic perspective, a humanistic perspective. He deals with death but all the time. But he had mysticism. But he had a little mysticism. It, how, do you, how do you show him that the the uh, the amazing grace of God in providing salvation through the Jewish Messiah. Because the question is, too, does he believe in the Bible? Does he, you know, or has he thrown that all away? So is the Bible something that he would use and listen to as scripture? How, what angle should we be taking? I think that what you sent or what Alice sent us here is an amazing picture of even a need that's more than 100 years old uh, and, and And you today. know, Chris, it's not just Jewish. When I was when I when I was in high school, if you would have asked me what a, I thought a Christian was, somebody who wasn't Jewish, they're a Christian. I knew Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, uh, uh, Episcopalians. There's every kind of different creed and thing out there. 
It's a mishmash. By the way, that's a Yiddish word. Yiddish. We've uh, done that one. Oh, mishmash is a great one. I think of soup and the kreplach. Oh, yeah. I, can, I can't take it. Uh, you got to be hungry. It's a mishmash of people. And in 1892, that worker for the London Society was saying, we don't, we have to meet people where they are to folk, at, at, use a fulcrum to get them to the scripture. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't changed. It, it hasn't changed. Hasn't changed really for the Jewish people. That was a focus of the London society. But it, it hasn't changed for Gentiles either. Yep. Because we have priesters all over the place. People who go to church, whatever their church, on Christmas and Easter only, and they don't think about it any other time. And so, you know, Chris, it just magnifies the need we have for the Spirit of God to fall humbly before him. Lord, we have a message. It's your message. Uh, make us messengers mm -hmm. for you. We want to be mouthpieces. We can't. We can't do it. It's got to be done in a supernatural way by a supernatural person, mm. the Lord Jesus. And the Holy Spirit can do it. God can draw anybody. It doesn't matter. Hey, if look you're at secular. you and me, and even Fran I know. over here. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think we have. Before we get to what's in a name, I think we have one more thing we want to do. You've had a new book. A That's... new book, Chris. We we thank Emily Stone. We do. Thank... And I'm I, sure we're still going to go to I, Emily Stone. I, if I never found this book behind my shelf, I would. Yeah, obviously, I would have never brought it. Did you know? That's going to be what we're still calling this segment. Whenever we need to give some quick information. So thank you, Emily Stone. Did you know is the name of her book. Uh, we used. We Let me see a, that book really quick. I just want to make sure there's no R or TM. So Emily Stone, we're stealing your your. Did you know for our segment? We're not getting rid of the segment. Did you know? We just right. have a different. We've added a book. Not that's right. We've added, we've added to Emily. To and we thank Emily and. I got a new book, again, from my wife, who was watching a PBS show on Jewish culture, and this was advertised. It's called The Little Encyclopedia of Jewish Culture, 101 People, Places, Things, and Foods. Can't leave foods out. <laughs> Every Jew should know. Every Jew should know. There Did you, you know? Did you know? All right. So the first one, I, all, all the schmooze that's fit to print, that's... <laughs> That's one of the 101 things. So whether as a language or dialect, Yiddish remains a mamaleshen. That's a Yiddish word. Mother tongue. A mother. Yeah, mamaleshen. Even if, let's be honest, a striking number of Jews today couldn't point to their own puppet. Uh, puppet. That's another one. I think belly, belly button. button. That's right. Belly, belly button. button. That's right. There, there are fairly common words like schmutz which is dirt, mm -hmm. uh, verklempt, oh, yeah. we've done that one, overcome, out there. But for the most part, attempting Yiddish can these days make someone feel like a real shlemiel. We've done that <laughs> we've one. We've done shlemiel. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> literally meaning Jewish, Yiddish exact provenance is impossible to pinpoint. Aside from Yiddish originating a very long time ago, Judaism itself was long on oral tradition. The oldest sentence printed in Yiddish appeared 300 years after it was first spoken. Wow. It took an additional 300 years before the Hebrew author and grammarian Eli Levita produced the first Yiddish dictionary in 1542. That's I never, amazing. 1542? I, <laughs> I thought know, it they came did out of Europe. <laughs> I that accepted theory is that Yiddish sprout, spouted from the mouths of 10th century Eastern and Central European Ashkenazi Jews as a mishmash of is. predominantly Hebrew, Aramaic, and German words peppered with those from Slavic and Roman Romantic languages for good measure. So, uh, according to the calculations by Rutgers University, Yiddish is spoken by less than how much, Chris? I'd say less than 350,000 people. Well, give a percentage. Uh, I'll let Fran. Fran? Yiddish has spoken not much. I know you're new to the game here. So just, you're a numbers guy. You're the international accountant. So of the percentage of Jewish people, what is Yiddish spoken? It's a low number. Take a guess. Let's go with 12. 12%. Oh, okay, that's good. And you're going with what? Um, I'll do 8%. 8%. You're both wrong, of course. I would have been wrong too. 4%. I, I believe it. I believe 4 it. 4% of the approximately 15.2 million Jews alive. And I bet today. they're all over the age of 60. Oh, for sure. 
Well, actually, that's not true. There's a rise There's amongst a younger people. There is a resurgence. Just like you told me, things come around, don't they, Chris? They 100%. You were just at a church, and you preached against, I'm supposed to be your boss. That and $5 will get me a cup of coffee. <laughs> but I told you, don't preach without socks no, on. No, no, no. You told me not to preach at a conference that's without true. socks that's on. That's true. Uh, listen, I'll be Talmudic here as much. I'll be rabbinical, okay? <laughs> You're going to be I was, I was cutting words up. Cutting words. So tell us what happened. So I show up, and the pastor's wife, an amazing uh, pastor's amazing, Pastor Dean Good, and his wife, Michelle Good, I walk in, and I, I walked into their house, and I didn't have socks on, but I had my loafers on. And she said, that's the way they should be worn. No socks. And she looks at her husband and says, get your socks off. Put your loafers on. And so I had the support, and he's a board member. So I have board support oh, for Oh, so it. now we're going to have board members coming in with no <laughs> socks. Oh, yeah, I yeah. could get fired, Steve. Come on. <laughs> but interesting, we had the, you and I had this conversation. when I, when I Look, I'm older, but when I was in junior high school, the, the look was was collegiate. It was called collegiate. We had penny loafers, and the penny loafers had to be shined real good, but we wore slim pants. I mean, to try to get those pants on was crazy. Do you I, not see? This is the style. This I is know. In. That's my point. Look at how it's it's just like Yiddish. It was old. Nobody, uh, nobody, and it's resurgent. Mahjong, the same Mahjong, thing. Mahjong. We'll read that from Did You Know segment maybe next week. All right. Sounds good. Well, listen, let's go ahead and move to what's in a name. Before we get into the more biblical component, the reason we have Fran here is because yeah. since Fran has come to the Friends of Israel only within the past month or so, I, I believe, Fran, you, you you, and Steve, or Steve at least to you, has had this ongoing thing during chapel, I think, in front of everybody at Friends of Israel about where does your name come from? And actually, I have to say this in Steve's defense. Steve does this to everybody. You go out to lunch and the waitress comes up and her name's Amy and he goes... Amy, where did Amy come from? You know, or something like that. What? Who? How'd you get? And everybody actually always has a story. They, I want it. Judaism. Your your name has a story. Yeah. It, your name names are big. We, that's what we're doing. Names are they're big to God. D the name Yeshua. We're gonna. It's a big deal. Yes. How did you get your name? What's your story behind your name? Fran the third or the fourth? We're still not sure. Well, can you tell the story so our listeners well, know? Well, I'll let Fran tell it, and I'll fill it in if he's making a mistake. And by the way, Fran is a big deal here at Friends of Israel because he's the international accountant. I mean, anytime you say international, I mean, this is like you're in a different you're in a different bracket Well, he's altogether. in a different time zone. His head's going to be in Australia and uh, UK and Poland. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to be everywhere. So he's newly married. He's newly international accountant. I think life and is going good. And now he's sitting in this podcast room wondering, <laughs> what did I agree to? <laughs> All right, Fran. So let's tell the story about this interaction between you and Steve. All right. So the first time I met Steve, asked me my name, told him, he's like, oh, well, what's the story behind your name? I'm like... <laughs> I don't know. It was my dad's name. Um, and then he started calling me Fran the third, maybe the fourth. Why did I do that, though? Wait a minute. Your name is not just Fran. It, if you were to look on your birth certificate, what does it say? It says Fran the third. Okay. Um, but, but is it Fran or Francis? Francis. So Francis yes. Flanagan the third yes. is a, Aye, that's yeah, a yeah. serious. Do you think you know where he's from? No, but that's a serious. <laughs> I mean, that's like no joke. Francis Flanagan the third. That makes me want to stand up and listen to what Francis you have to say. There was Francis Schaefer, Fran Tarkington. I was trying to think of different Frans out there. I'm telling you right now, you've already got my attention. I feel like I should be like he's the big mocker here. He, so go ahead. Go ahead. So there's a story. Um, my dad really didn't know his grandfather. Um, so he always just assumed that his grandfather wasn't named Francis, mm -hmm. but then we find out like years later that his grandfather was also Francis Joseph. Oh, so really? I joke around, I used to joke around with my parents. I'm like, Oh, you messed up on my name and my birth certificate. Like I should be the fourth, right? <laughs> so on my birth certificate, I'm the third, but. So I call him Fran the third or the fourth or the fourth. So wait a minute. You mean to tell me that there was a point where they just didn't realize in history that there was one more Francis Joseph. Right. And so he's out there. He's the original. And then the junior, and then the, was that junior, the then third. the third? Yep. Okay. But you're actually the fourth. Yes. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. 
So, Are you just getting this, Chris? I'm, well, I mean, just... I'm getting caught up here. <laughs> I think I'm getting caught up. Uh, but I would like to know if you have a child, and it's a son. Is will it be? Didn't I ask you that I, that question? Fourth I... or fifth? Is it will it be fourth, fifth? You may have to ask my wife that. Uh, one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is it stopping with Fran the third slash fourth, or is there going to be another one? That's uh, the question. That's good. Be, we'll, we'll have to wait to find out. That's right. But you were. Uh, you listened to our last podcast, uh, and which is what's in a name, and we're carrying it over now. And you told me what after you listened. So I got curious because Steve is always like, "Oh, tell me the story behind your name." So I'm like, "Let me do some research." I mean, may find something. I mean, Francis just seems like a basic name to me. But as I researched, um, it's derived from Latin meaning "free one." Mm. But many Christians will name their son Francis. Um, for liberation from sin and death. Wow, that's amazing. That is. How, what did you think of that when you found that out? Did you have? Did you think about it before? I did not. It was my first time, so I was thinking about it, and it really like parallels like my spiritual journey. I grew up Catholic. I wasn't saved until I was thirty-two. I mean, and when you're saved, you're liberated from death. Mm. So I mean, name fits. Yeah, they. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How did you come to faith? What was it? It's at 32, you know. Uh, what was it that, that God and used? And that wasn't very long ago. Right. Um, so I grew up Catholic. My mom was always very religious. Um, got away from the church a little bit. And then one day I was just sitting at home. I felt the call to come back. Um, my what uncle, do you mean? You tell, tell us about that. What Was something you were thinking about, you read, or you felt? just an unction yeah. in your heart? It was just something I felt, honestly. It was just like God telling me to come home. And did you think, mm. I gotta, where am I gonna, did you think, where am I gonna go? Or did you know? I did. So, um, my uncle, a Christian, um, I said, I was like, oh, I'm off. I'm like, let me go try your church. He was like, you can, but it's an older congregation go to FAC where I attend now, he was like, it's a younger congregation. You may find someone there. Ah, uh-huh. mm. now we so find out. I went there and I didn't meet my wife there. I met my wife online, but it turns out that's the church she grew up in. That's amazing. That's Talk amazing. about the providence and sovereignty of God. You had an unction, you had an uncle, and... <laughs> <laughs> An unction, an uncle, and one more. I don't Come know. On. I gotta find another you. <laughs> the unction, the uncle. Right. Unction, an uncle, oh. and a unbelievable meeting with Christ. There there. That's amazing. What a great testimony, that, friend. That, that is fantastic. What, what, can you explain a little bit more? Like, are you just sitting on your couch on a Saturday and you're thinking, you know, I, I should be thinking about the like. What was the thought that was going through your head? that would compel you to get up the next morning or to do some research to find out where should I go to to hear more about God at this point or as he was drawing you? Um, I was just sitting at home. Um, I was actually reading a book. It was um, like relig- world religions or like a textbook that I was reading because different religion was oh, always this like... international account. He's reading a textbook on his day <laughs> off. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The Lord uses everything. That's right. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I, I kind of miss it. Like, I want to go back to church, but I knew I didn't want to go back to a Catholic church. Mm. Mm. You just knew that, huh? I did. That is amazing. That is... And then your name, the way it ties in... That's amazing. You've got, you've got to name your child, if it's a boy, Francis the 4th, 5th. The 4th, 5th. That's fourth, it. 4th, 5th. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Well, we're glad that you're here, uh, Fran. Of course, you stick around, participate. If you need to go back and do your international dealings, please hop up, go get a drink, uh, help yourself, make yourself at home. We're very Hamish here. Hamish is a Yiddish word for hospitality. So make yourself comfortable, or if you have to go back to your office, totally understand. He's got a story, Chris. He's got a great great story. story. I'm I'm glad that you shared And a little bit contributed by the Jew and the Gentile podcast. (laughs) You just, we got to take a little bit of credit because he listened. What's in the name? And he never knew, right? Am I lying? No. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Nope. All right. It's an unction to an uncle. Uh, All right. (laughs) All right. Hey, you should write that. (laughs) You should. It's a great story. Put that on a mug. Yeah. (laughs) 
for, just for you. All right. So, Steve, what's in a name part two? This was not supposed to be a part two, but what's in a name? And you've been doing some great prep on this, so I'll turn it over. Well, the Lord really has. We're again talking about, uh, and with Fran, we're talking about the providence of God. So I've, I've been reading through a book uh, in the morning called Prayer, Praise, and Promises, A Daily Walk Through the Psalms. Uh, by Warren Wiersbe, a wonderful pastor of pastors. Amazing. Years ago, he went home to be with the Lord. He was in his 90s. He wrote dozens and dozens of books, uh, was pastor of Moody uh, Memorial Church for years, was also the radio voice. Mm-hmm. You, you could identify with him for Back to the Bible. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot of things. And it just happened to be, happened, that the same day we were going to podcast is what I read here. Uh, and it's from Psalm 40, uh, and it's who's think the title is who's thinking about you, and it's a uh, Wearsby writes a little boy asked his father, Dad, what does God think about? Mm. Chris, when I read that this morning, I said that's, a, that's an unbelievable for a little boy to what does God think about? Did you ever think of that question, Fran? I have not, but I know with children like. It seems more now, because I don't think I asked those questions when I was younger, mm-hmm. but they ask, like, uh, these questions that are very, like, open-ended, and I was like, oh, I, n- I never thought about that. Yeah, good. It's, it's a good question. And so, uh, Wearsby says, now, that's a profound question. After all, if God knows everything, past, present, and future, what does he have to think about? Well, according to verse 17 in Psalm 40, he thinks about you and me, quote, but I am poor and needy. David said, yet the Lord thinks upon me. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Yeah. That's, that's, so we're in what's in a name. So he writes, God thinks us, of us personally. He doesn't have to be told about us. He doesn't have to send a committee of angels to investigate our feelings, problems, frustration, or needs. God knows us personally, and he knows our names. That's a great one. And then when I read that, there's a song. He knows my name. He knows my name. Have you ever sung that in church? I, yeah, I have. Have you, friend, ever? He knows my name. It's on Christian, you know, music. I've, I've heard that song. Are you going to s- sing it for no. us? <laughs> <laughs> I, hey, I tried to. I tried to daven and you know do the Shema. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did such a rotten job last. I'm not not venturing there again. But I just thought. So let me just summarize. But he knows our name. So he says God thinks of us personally. God thinks about us lovingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't think thoughts of evil about us. He's not a policeman looking to arrest us. No, our Father in Heaven thinks about us lovingly. And then thirdly, God thinks about us wisely. He has a perfect plan for our life. Psalm 138 and verse 8 says, uh, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Mm. I just thought, so when, when, I, when I wrote this article, What's in a Name, that we used last time, last week and this week, uh, we think about the names that were given. I think we went through the names of your children and the names of my children, uh, given with the idea of trying to have them have a story, uh, a biblical story. And I, I, I know my kids, uh, when they had their kids, they thought through uh, what they were going to name them and why and what they wanted for him. And, and Fran is just, he didn't even know it. At the time, his parents didn't know it. His parents had no idea, nor did Fran. And just a few years ago, uh, five years ago, six years ago? Two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah, you're like us when we were trying to figure out the Yidd- how many Yiddish speakers there are. Two years ago, he gets saved, and he finds out what his name means, and it it's his story. Mm-hmm. What a blessing that is to, to hear. And... God, which name- also shows that God is thinking about us, that just at the right time, just at the right place, you know, for my own life, for Fran, for you, there were moments that God had already thought out because he's thinking about it. And uh, and it, he acts at the time that he wants to act for our good in our lives. And so, you know, I think about the Israelites in the beginning of Exodus when it says that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when the Israelites were suffering, and then he took to action. It doesn't mean God forgot. It means he was thinking about them and was about to take action in accordance with promises that he had made. And so he would redeem them and liberate them 
Uh, all <laughs> of this. This is unbelievable. What, it's fitting together. It's all fitting together. So the, the idea of God's concern, because thinking means that God's concerned about you. That's exactly. the thing. He's concerned. He's 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 got his attention on you. And it's hard to imagine that a, a God who creates everything uh, is concerned about the detail of our life. Uh, you know, if you, I think I've talked about this before. If you ever, there's a picture of Earth from Saturn, and it's just a tiny speck of dust in this vast universe, Earth. And to think that God created this vast universe with His words, and yet He still cares about the timing of when we come to Him, and He still cares about our growth in Him and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the fact, that even to our names, giving us purpose through those things. It is, it is amazing, and it's. Uh, you know, I I shouldn't be surprised, but that's that's what a relationship is. You get surprised when you relate. So we relate to God, and we as we deal with other people, other in this case, other believers. Here, I'm just teasing Fran, Francis. Tell us your story, blah blah blah. And it turns out there's a real spiritual connection, and God cares about Fran mm. even to the very name. I think of my name, Stephen. And I think no wonder people throw stuff at me when I preach. They threw stuff at they threw stuff at Stephen, right? Uh, but only, your real name he, your real name is Israel, which Ruben. is even worse. They're always against me. That is amazing. All the years I've known you, I never knew your name was Israel Ruben. That it is, blows it is, my mind. It is, is that an, on your birth certificate? Uh, it's on the synagogue. Uh, Registry, registry. I'm oh, sure. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, you have a whole, you have a big magilla when you have a bris. It's a big deal. Though. Will your tombstone say Steve Herzig, or will it say Steve Israel Rubin Herzig? It's gonna have. He tried the Jew and Gentile podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, it, but in what's in a name? We're talking about God thinking about us. Because he knows our name, like he actually he kn- knows our name. Did you ever? Did you ever do notice? And Fran, maybe you've had this where somebody comes up to you and they remember your name, and you're not. Maybe you haven't seen them for years. You met them once, maybe. And they come up, oh, Chris, and you go, what? What? You, you remember my name when you when somebody actually? It's amazing if somebody says your name. It you know it makes it more personal, and it's not just that God knows you. It's that he knows your name, which is a personal connection as well. No question about it. But uh, I'll give you the other side. I I went. I've only gone to one of my reunions. Have you ever gone to any of no. your high school reunions? I've been to my wife's, but not mine. For, Fran, have you gone? I have not. Okay. No. Well, I went to my tenth. My desire was. Now it's over fifty years ago, right? But I went to my tenth, and because oh, for a spiritual reason, I told my wife it's in Ohio, and I'm in Chicago. I said I want to go. I want to tell people about Christ. I want them to hear my story. So. I, and this is an all pretty much Jewish. Oh yeah, school. everybody's Jewish. Yeah. But so the first person I talked to, the first person I remembered him, especially in eighth grade, I was uh, we were in the same uh, music room together, blah blah blah. So I go up to him, uh, t- uh, say hello, and he said, "I don't know you." <laughs> <laughs> he forgot you. <laughs> I'm easy to forget. No, now, you're not. Now look in no, you in, my, in my school, my high school. There were 1,200 graduates. Yeah, of course. 3,500 students. I met one person I graduated with in college. <laughs> you didn't even know you went to the I, same no, school. No, you know, what do you do when you're a freshman? Oh, where are you from? Where'd you come from? Uh, oh, yeah, I went to uh, Heights High School. You went to Heights High School? I went to Heights High School. What year are you in? I'm a freshman. I'm a freshman. Where were you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was sitting with you in the same classroom. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But... That, that you're right. When the Bible says he knows our name, it makes it so personal. Mm-hmm. The question is, do we know him? Do we know his and, name? And, and, do we know his name? Because it actually talks about calling on the name, the name of, of the, the Lord. Lord, not just God. It's calling on his name. That is what matters. And the of most. course, his name is salvation. Mm-hmm. His name is. And then when you study the Older Testament names, uh, Which is the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Exactly. When you study those names, they're all attributes of who God is. Mm-hmm. He, and Jesus himself reiterated what God said in the Older Testament text, I am. 
I am. Yeah. What I am. That just think about that. It it's mind blowing. I always like to tell people that, you know, when Moses, do you remember when Moses is standing before the burning bush? He goes, You're gonna have to tell me your name because they're gonna want to know. You can't <laughs> what's going on here. Is that Jewish or what? <laughs> that moment can't you get You did pretty good. I'm sure Moisha sounded like you got it. Hey, I'm going back here to these people. <laughs> Who are you anyway? And I think you got the wrong guy. <laughs> For sure. That, so, but he says, you know, you're going to have to tell me your name. And that's when God reveals, you know, Yahweh is my name, the great I am. Uh, but there is something special because, you know, sometimes when we read the English version of the of the Old Testament and it reads Lord, the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the name of God can get kind of washed over a little bit because Lord has just this uh, broad understanding of who God is where actually he's giving us his name, and his name matters, so that when you're reading through the Lord, you know, there are certain Bibles, actually, that translate the name. Mm-hmm. So, yep. you know, there's one out called the Legacy Standard Bible. Um, I believe that's what it's called, a, a new publication, where they thought it was important that you don't just put Lord down in the Old Testament. You put his name down where his name is written so that you know he's using his personal name uh, because sometimes he'll use it as a stamp of approval for things. I'm going to do this for you. I am the Lord, Yahweh. For my namesake. For my namesake. And so his name is a righteous name. It's a holy name. It's a name that must be associated with a reputation of his holiness. He can't lie. He can't deceive. It's bound up in his character. It's bound up in his nature. He can't undo it. And so that's the reason he's going to see things through for us as Christians, because his name is connected to us. And it's the reason he's going to see Israel return to the land, a return to the land. His as he did. name is at stake. It, that's Chris. what it says. Ezekiel his 36. His name is at stake. That's amazing. Yeah. His holy reputation is also, it's Shem. His name is at stake, like you said. So there's a reputation to a name. That's what I try to always tell my kids. Hey, your name can either be mud or your name could be something that people remember uh, because there's a reputation connected to it. It's the same thing with Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, all right, Steve, that concludes our time uh, talking about uh, what's in a name. So why don't we move to uh, the the news? The news. You've got some interesting news that you've sent uh, my way. You know, if you just read headlines, uh, that's not unique to me. There have been there actually been entertainment shows that uh, as part of their segment, they read the news to get people to laugh. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it works. Uh it's it's amazing, but uh, in the New Here, York, friend, I'll let you read it. Here you go. In the New York Post, uh, here's the headline. Now, Chris, are you familiar with Burning Man? I am. I I did a story on Burning Man, and I met through that when I was uh, ministering in Canada. Carl Tykrib, who he is an amazing believer. Uh, lives in Canada, and he's gone to Burning Man. I don't know why anybody would want to go to Burning Man, but if you want to find out about it, uh, there's been several of them. It was started in San Francisco. Uh, they actually burn a giant edifice, whatever they build there. It, it's, it's a big, big man. Uh, it, and it, people bring their, it's a hollowed out wooden structure that goes up hundreds of feet. 100%. And people bring their burdens into the man. And then they burn the man at the end of the of the event. And exactly. so it's almost like they're leaving all of their, like how we say leave your burdens at the cross. They're leaving their burdens at Burning Man, but it's not going to accomplish and the same thing. And generally speaking, it's a general thing. Carl goes there. He goes there. He sets up a, you know, every, no, you're not allowed to charge any money for anything. You can't, uh, it, it has a whole set of rules. You could go online and look at it. But, and Carl's gone there simply, he opens up, shop so to speak like every he's there and people and he puts out signs about questions that he wants to have a conversation and people come mm-hmm. and he's had amazing opportunities well his saying is that he feels like the apostle paul in and in, in uh athens at the agora when when and he's 17 that's yeah. right and so that's his place is he he actually i think has a stand that says to the unknown god and people come up and they uh exactly talk to him about exactly it. so we're talking about mostly people who are not there's I would say many of them are spiritual. That's why there is a burning man, but they are not uh, necessarily interested in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And what's so funny about this is there the anti-capitalist climate activists. Okay, so 
They're me- they do it in Canada, the United States, they uh, UK, they block streets and they won't let people go to work. I've actually watched some news items where the people they want to go to work and they got these people who they won't they just don't move. And if you drag them away, they just go back. They never are they're nonviolent, but they just go back. Anyway, so the anti-capitalist climate activists are blocking did block traffic to Burning Man. <laughs> oh, to Burning so Man. There's a way to get in to it's in Nevada and they blocked they wouldn't let them in. <laughs> that's funny. I thought it was actual people from Burning Man no, prote- preventing were, people. That's what makes it so funny. If you told me the Burning Men were, you know, they were protesting. No, they wouldn't let the Burning Men people go to their own event. And there's a picture. Yeah. <laughs> there's they're... a picture on the front about it. Uh, blocking traffic into Burning Man, funded by secession star Getty Air Anna Kennedy. So evidently... Uh, some Kennedy uh, sponsored this, uh, and the, ra- the a ranger that is, you know, a a person uh, of the law. A ranger can be heard telling the activist, "You better move." <laughs> I think what's happening here too with the ranger is, I think it could be near a reservation, and it's a reservation. Uh, tri- it's called tribal police. And 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 in the, in the New York Post it says chaotic footage then captures tribal police plowing through the demonstration, sending the trailer skidding off the road and protesters scrambling. And the ranger can be heard telling activists, "You better move!" as they scream. And so it's you know it's not like I I don't think it's uh I I, I could be wrong. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it's U.S. or you know like a no, city police. I'm sure it's you're tribal right. police. But that the are, point is. The people, and they have their own rules. That's the, the thing. The people that they're trying to prevent to go to Burning Man are just as liberal. Yes. They would stand with them at an anti-climate, you know, at, at a climate change rally. They are, most of them, are the same political beliefs. Yeah. But now they, now they hate them. Now they say, you can't go in because you're using gasoline. Whatever it is, it's just... Burning Man is killing the environment, okay? <laughs> All right, Steve, here's the next one uh, that you brought up. Ask the expert, uh, kosher, a kosher pig. Can a Jewish person receive a transplanted heart valve from a pig? Here's a question that came in on myjewishlearning.com, and it says, A dear Gentile friend's brother recently had life-saving heart valve replacement surgery. The surgeons used a heart valve from a pig which apparently is the best option for such a procedure. This actually happened to oh, a yeah. colleague of ours, mm-hmm. Jonathan Kraft. Uh, would would an observant Jew in need of the same operation be permitted to use a valve from a pig? That comes from Pamela from Baltimore. And Steve, uh, I don't know if you want to comment on this. I'll just read the first segment here in the answer. It says, in modern medicine, pig skin is sometimes transplanted on the patients with severe burns. Heart valves from pigs are often transplanted into patients with damaged or diseased heart valves. This process, uh, called xenografting or xenotransplantation, describes transplants from any non-human animal to a human. One might assume that Jews would be prohibited prohibited from uh, receiving uh, xenotransplants from pigs because of the biblical prohibition against eating and touching swine. The and it talks about Leviticus eleven seven through eight. However, Rashi. Bum, 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 bum. There he is. Rashi. The First ele- study Bible. Exactly. Rashi and Ryrie. <laughs> We're going alliteration. <laughs> there we go. However, Rashi, the 11th century Torah commentator, explained that this prohibition against touching pigs applied only when Jews were on their way to Jerusalem to observe the three pilgrimage festivals, Passover, the Feast of Week, Shavuot, and Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, there's also been a rabbinic injunction. I don't even know how far back it, it dates, but you no law covers, uh, no law, Jewish law, uh, can, can supersede the saving of a life. So you could break the Sabbath laws if you're physically in danger. So mm-hmm. you, you have you have to get to the hospital. Something something happens. Whatever it is, if you're if you're if you faint on Yom Kippur and you're fasting. They'll give you water, and you don't have to worry about it. I mean, that's the way it was growing up. So here, it's a it's a pig valve. You're not eating it. It is going in you, but you're not eating it, and it could save your life. The I think the rabbinic rule, if we were in a Talmudic uh, 
discussion. I think the I don't think you could circumvent the rule for saving a life. Well, I'll say this too. Uh, it says bottom line: if a life saving procedure, if it's a life saving procedure, there's no problem using parts of a non kosher animal unless that part is a ham sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> the the and the procedure is not so much life saving such as lunchtime. Well, you know it's interesting when you talk about kashrut, the laws. I cannot tell you how many people I've met, uh, Gentile people who love the Jewish people, come up to me and say, "I have to tell you a funny story." And I've heard them. You probably have too, but I've heard them all over the place. Oh yeah, I worked with a Jewish friend. He was great. Oh, we had a wonderful time together. Uh, he said at home he kept kosher. Uh, mm -hmm. but, and his wife was fastidious about it. Everything was kosher, the two sinks and all that zealous. But he said, when he w came to work, he said he, he loved ham and cheese sandwiches. <laughs> and he would, don't, it's just the other white meat. In fact, that's what, uh, Orthodox Jews who are not, uh, keeping kosher aw away from their family or whatever, it's called the other white meat. You know, um, this also brings up a good New Testament conversation because Jesus was often accused of breaking Sabbath rules. Um, and a lot of times it came down to what, you know, was it a life-saving event? That's actually, you know, if you ever noticed a lot of times, the gospel writers are very, you know, uh, exact. I'm sure Jesus did a lot of miracles between Sunday and Friday before sundown. But if you noticed that they're called Sabbath controversies because Jesus would do it right during the Sabbath to kind of give a, 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 a it's, it's nothing more than to say that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the son of man. He's the Lord. I can do what I want on the Sabbath. But also the question of is healing somebody who's had a, a, a disability for their whole life. Uh, is it, can you wait one more day? Does it have to be, you know, his life isn't in danger. Could you just wait till, you know, this, you know, the next day and Jesus will heal on that day or cast out a demon or, and Jesus would consider all of these things greater, life being greater than the Sabbath, to heal. So he was making a point, like you're saying, life in these moments, the saving of a life, and that's the real rabbinical question is, well, define saving of a life. And Jesus was doing certain things on Sabbath that would raise questions among the Pharisees, not all Jewish people, but the Pharisees to say, are you supposed to be doing that on Sabbath? Is that really life-saving? Well, you know, when we read the, from Moment Magazine and that doctor talking, uh, sometimes I believe and sometimes I don't. So here, if you have the Messiah of Israel, his teaching, taking into account his teaching, he's trying to demonstrate his authority. So yeah, he could wait if he wants, but he doesn't have to wait. Mm -hmm. And so you look at what he's accomplished, he's able to heal that person, and he is the Messiah of Israel. What's at stake? Not just that. Sin. I can do that. I can forgive sin mm. as well. It's a, there, there's a, it's a, like all Jewish people, multi-layered. It's an onion. You, one thing here, one thing there. Before you know it, you got bad breath. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Last news, Steve. I thought this one was very interesting. Uh, it comes from the Huffington Post. Here's why I invented a, quote, death machine that lets people take their own lives. The Sarco is a 3D printable contraption that can be transported to wherever a user wants to die. Now, hold on. Before we... Now, Fran, I don't... I sent this to you. Did you read it? I did read this one, yes. Okay, do you have an opinion? I do, actually. Well, let's hear your opinion. We want to hear your opinion, especially Fran the third slash fourth. So, your life is a gift from God. Even though it's a gift, we don't we don't own that gift. We don't own our earthly vessel. God is the sole owner of our life. Mm. We have zero authority to this to decide when we want to leave our earthly body. Mm. Boy, he's just like an accountant, huh? Yep, it's he's got black it down and white, and that is it. I like it. He's right to the point. I, I do too. Fran, you're, you're the good. man. You're, you're the good. man, Fran. Okay, so in in the article, Chris. Uh, the sarco death, as it's called, this is called the sarco death. It's painless. There's no suffocation, choking sensation, or air hunger. As the user breathes easily in a low oxygen environment, the sensation is one of well-being and intoxication. Can I tell you something, Chris? Back when I was in college, I went to a movie called Soylent Green. Soylent Green. Soylent Green. It it was with um, 
uh, oh, the actor who played Moses. Uh, I, he played Moses and Ben Hur, and of course I can't think Charles of oh, Charles Charles Heston. Heston. Yep. So Charlton Good Heston job. was. Thank you, thank you, Fran. So Charlton Heston is playing, and the, the whole movie is the Earth is crowded. It's people are upon one another. It's all the air is polluted, and during that time, there's not enough food. And so there's this factory, and Charlton Heston does a lot of research and finds out, follows an older man who gets a ticket, some sort of notification, and he goes into this beautiful environment. Oh, it's just beautiful. Uh, there's uh, He can have a drink of water. or he it, The room is quiet. They put headphones on him. You pick your music, and then they kill you. Mm. I mean... With drug, you know, they inject you, and at the end of the movie, Soylent and Green, they're they they need food. They ended up processing the people who died and turned them into food. Oi. Oh gosh, Soylent Green. Oh my goodness. So the, this isn't is original. Zygazun, okay? <laughs> <laughs> live and be well. Yeah, but not for them. Not for yeah, that one. But oh. I'm just saying, it's not new. Here, a person, as, as Fran said, this this person believes that you should decide. You need to, you could go, and you're in a capsule, they'll ship it anywhere. Hmm. You could go to a mountaintop, you can uh, go by the ocean, you could go anywhere you want, and then it's a killing machine, is mm -hmm. what it is. And there's test, he talks about, um, he said, 20 years ago I became the first physician in the world to administer a legal, lethal, voluntary injection to four of my terminally ill patients. Under How long ago? 20. Wasn't there another guy? It, it's he, this Kevorkian? Guy says, Wasn't uh, Kevorkian? Well, he's way before Kevorkian. Oh, he uh, is? Yeah. I thought Kevorkian uh, was a long time well, ago. At, at the time, I approached death with confidence and even arrogance of someone in the middle of his life. I was about to turn 50. At a psychological level, death was still something that happened to other people. As my work in this field matured, my vision was shifted from supporting the idea of a dignified death for the terminal to supporting the concept of a good death. Now he's def he's defining it. This is a good death for any rational adult. Think, Rat, that, think about that. That's the thing. You know, because I agree with what Fran says. To me, the moment, you know, I, I, honestly, I think it's very biblical to think that, you, like you said, Fran, your your life is a gift from God, but it's also God's to, to, to give and to take. It's interesting, I think, in a lot of more secular-minded and humanistic-minded uh, ways of living, this is more and more popular. Oh, this is going to be very popular. This is, I mean, it's already—did you see the one—I think it was like a family from Canada or somewhere with the grandkids with grandma. She looks fine, and she's like, I told grandma, it's time to go. Oh, yeah, yeah, and grandma's like— think it's time to go. And I'm sitting there going, what in the world? You know, it's like an honest, it was something that went viral because the granddaughter saying, you know, I think she's taking up too many rooms in this house. It's time for grandma to get out of here. Well, he shifted from, you know, just thinking of terminally ill to supporting the concept of a good death for any rational adult who has life experience. That's called in his mind, the human rights model. The Exit International, the nonprofit organization I founded after the aforementioned overturning of the world's first voluntary euthanasia law, we interpret that to mean anyone over 50 years old. If for any reason, Zygazunt, kill yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's amazing. And I, that's right. As people are detached, God knows our name. As I see that. As people are detached from, from connection with God and the scriptures and they they begin to think they get to determine they should determine and yet chris we get outraged because we believe we know what happens if they're not in christ mm. that we believe whatever they're facing here on earth is going to be better than facing eternity without christ can i can i just say this isn't cuz we're running out of time here but um somebody had a really great question for me and it was uh, when we were, oh, it was in Israel, and we were at the top of Masada, and at the top of Masada, uh, Jewish people committed suicide to prevent their, you know, becoming slaves, oh, their you, wives from you being knew raped. knew what was going to happen. That's right. 
But she, the person said, in the same vein that we talked about, you know, God gives life and, you know, he's the author of life and can t- he's the one who should take life away or end life. These people took life into their own hands, not knowing what the future would be. Isn't that, how different is that from the death machine? And so I, I, it's a great question. It is a great question. And I didn't really have a great answer for her other than the fact to know, hey, unless you wanted your kids and your wife to go into these horrible situations. I mean, these people have been waiting for this moment for three years, yep. you know, to get you. So it's not going to be pretty. Nope. So anyway, I, it was a great question. No, it is a great question. And and I understand, but this is, they're defining it anyone over 50. If yep. you think it's time, like I didn't, I wasn't aware of the Canadian situation. Think about that. Your grandkids, your grandkids, <laughs> oh, I can see my, hey, Zadie, yeah. I think it's time. Hey, uh, I could use that life insurance policy. <laughs> I think it's time for you to go. Ay, ay, ay. All right, here we go. Speaking of the very idea of this just makes us want to use a word, Steve. When we think about this idea of a death machine, what Fran said, this is it's unbiblical. There's a word that just comes, a Yiddish word that comes to my mind that makes me think about this article. It, it, you know, and it comes out of the little encyclopedia of the Jewish culture, which we read at the beginning. But let me read it for you, Chris, because it says this. A few years ago, linguist and lexicographer Ben Zimmer revealed in a column on Slate that the word meh, meh, M-E-H, meh, <laughs> meh. Might be Yiddish. And the reason they think so is they found a dictionary dated 1928. 1928? That was a Yiddish dictionary. So, what's meh meh mean? Well, it's like to be indifferent. It's Or to to look down on something. Wait, you you were telling me you... Where did you first hear that word? Well, I read an article that said it kind of first appeared during The Simpsons. uh, Who used it? I I think it was one of the daughters or something like that. Goes, meh. Like that, you know, but it means an expression of indifference or boredom or something. Uh, meh, I don't really don't don't I don't want to concern myself with that right now. And I'll tell you this right now, I don't want to concern myself with this death machine. <laughs> meh. meh. Get this out. I don't want to concern myself with Burning Man. Aye. Meh. I'm gonna you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna turn to the name of the Lord. That's what I will do. I will amen call on and Amen. Hey, you know what? We want to thank Fran for being Thanks, a part of the Jew and Gentile podcast. Thank you. I have to say, it's an honor going from the eighth listeners who were a guest spot. <laughs> oh, this is awesome. See, anybody can do it. Anybody, anybody can do it. Especially the new international accountant. Fran, thanks for being with us. Hey, listen, just we didn't even get a chance to talk about this. Steve, you got a class coming up I do this have September. A class. Uh, go to foiequip.org, our sponsor for, of the Jew and Gentile podcast, to register for Steve's class on the Fall Feast of Israel. And don't forget, if you're interested in a mug, tell us we're taking a survey. How many oh, would you want? People have been texting me. Four. I want four mugs. Another person, four mugs. Another person wants three. Hey, be sure to go to fyequip.org. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.